I'm Robin Amler of IBS Intelligence. You're listening to the IBS iViews podcast. How can you reduce false positives and manage real-time authorization while bearing down on scams and fraud? It's about protecting customers and reducing risk and business operating costs through machine learning, financial crime prevention solutions. FeatureSpace invented adaptive behavioral analytics and automated deep behavioral networks and was the first to profile both genuine and fraudulent behavior to identify and block criminal activity in real time. Martina King, CEO of Thin Crime Fighter Feature Space, tells us how to protect against scams and fraud in financial transactions. But first, do you want to access the multi-billion dollar fintech opportunity in the Middle East or India? If the answer is yes, then join the Cedar IBSI Fintech Lab and fast-track your journey of market expansion with us. As a FinTech Lab member, you'll have access to skilled mentors and have the opportunity to learn, network, and collaborate with like-minded individuals, building your knowledge base, skills, and connections. Visit www.cedaribsifintechlab.com. Now, back to our conversation with Martina King, Chief Executive Officer of FeatureSpace. It's another pandemic, isn't it? The losses are staggering. So 8.8 billion to scams, according to the Federal Trade Commission, so that's the USA, 1.2 billion in the UK alone. And this is a thing that I also think is quite staggering, which is another 1.2 billion was stopped. So it means that our systems are only able to catch 50% of the crime. So we've got to be able to do better than that, haven't we? Then when it comes to the amount of money that financial institutions spend trying to block that, they're probably spending something similar in a multi-layered approach to try to block that 50%. So again, we know that particularly the financial institutions, the large banks are investing huge amounts of money in trying to stop the problem, but it is growing. It is getting bigger. However, there are good ways of being able to solve the problem and also reduce the cost of the investment as well. You've dangled a bait in front of me there. What are the best ways? What are the ways that people (laughs) should be following? Well, I think that it starts with a data story. The belief is the more data you have, the better the answer should be. And what we've been doing at FeatureSpace is trying to work out what's the smallest amount of data you need in order to get the maximum result. Because if we can be much more efficient with the data asset, then the costs of actually processing that data should be an an awful lot less as well. So let's take a a bank as an example. If the bank has the authorization data from a customer, so imagine that you're logging into your online bank account or you're using your card, any of that authorization stream data that is already held within the bank, if you're able to run behavioral models against that. So FeatureSpace invented adaptive behavioral analytics. So by building those statistical profiles of the customer's data asset, you're able to get a much higher catch rate. So let's say you're able to get a 70% catch rate. And then the other problem, of course, the counterbalance to this is usually the more you tighten a fraud system, the more genuine transactions you're then blocking. The false positive problem. So what, again, we're trying to do is make sure that we're reducing dramatically the number of transactions that are genuine transactions that get declined. And this is referred to as the zone of uncertainty. So we're famous for being able to have the smallest zone of uncertainty in our modeling technique. 
So if you can get to a a 60 to 70% catch rate just on the authorization stream data, then you can start to layer in and have a much greater understanding of the other signals. So for instance, a behavioral biometrics tool, you know, if you're authorizing yourself on your mobile device and saying this is a genuine uh, transaction that I want to put through, even though you might be being controlled by a, a criminal at that moment in time, your behavioral biometric is going to permit that authorization. So far better that the bank is building the profile based on what you normally would do and to be able to send an alert and flag against that. So less amount of data, uh, a higher risk score uh, on your um, existing data asset just based on the authorization stream data, that gives you a much higher catch rate. And then you can start to look at other signals then on top of that that add value. And of course, as we know, a good example in the UK is that we've had to then authorize our payments. But that actually costs quite a lot of money. So every time a consumer authorizes the payment, that's a cost. There's a call out charge for that. If we already have the data, we already know that this is a genuine customer. You don't then need to have the call out. So the costs of that are reduced as well. I think there's a no-win situation here, to be perfectly honest, because from a customer's perspective, how dare you decline my transaction? Why are you doing this? And from the institution's perspective, you're always going to be playing catch-up to the criminals. The numbers you quoted earlier as to how much has gone in fraud in the US, how much has gone in fraud in the UK, are staggeringly huge and obviously, therefore, very attractive to criminals to pursue. Is this a case of the fact that it's always going to be with us and we have to keep playing catch up? Or can you get ahead of the game in any way? Well, we always used to work behind the criminals, particularly in the technology industry. So we knew what bad looked like. We could build a model against bad and you'd apply that into the data asset. However, you were only ever then working on what you already knew was the typical financial crime. What we've been able to do is show that actually you don't have to know what bad looks like any longer. So long as we're monitoring all consumer behavior, we as the vendor don't see that consumer behavior. That's all happening within the bank's own controlled environment. What that enables is a much greater ability to be able to understand that this individual would never behave in this particular way. And that right at the moment that that criminal activity is taking place, a flag can go up. Now, of course, if a bank is then contacting their customer to say, we think you're currently the victim of crime and the individual still allows that transaction or that payment to go through, there's not an awful lot more the bank can do. But at least they have the evidence then to show that they really tried hard to stop the customer from making an error. And in extreme circumstances, I think it is right, because the bank gets a score. So the machine will say this is 99.9% likely to be a fraudulent transaction. And because the accuracy is so high, they can then block the transaction and save the consumer or their customer from making a bad mistake, at least give them time to be able to have a cool off period, and then come back and think about it again. Very often, even though it might be frustrating for the individual at the time, the bank has great knowledge, or the financial institution has great knowledge that this is a an actual crime that's taking place and can be stopped. And I think we have a duty to try and protect people when we know that. 
Well, I'm going to quote a, a figure at you now, and it's a figure that's given to me by Future Space itself, and I'd like you to explain it to me. And the figure is 135%. And according to what I've been told, this was the amount by which your technology helped NatWest to improve its financial scam detection rate. They weren't doing very well beforehand, yeah. were they, if you managed to boost it by 135%. Scams is a terrible, terrible problem, and it's very hard to spot. A lot of what we've been talking about, an example, would be with with scams. So is a genuine customer allowing a genuine transaction to take place from a genuine account? So therefore, why would the bank intervene? Why would the bank stop it? But we now know that this is a you know really pernicious crime that's taking place, and the patterns. Um, you know, the thing about criminals is that they're very agile and they change quickly, but their patterns are quite repeatable. So we know what to look for and we can encode that into the models. And then we can be monitoring at bank grade. So every transaction that goes through the bank can be monitored to ensure it's a safe transaction. And when you do that, you, the improvement that you can get, and as I say, this doesn't have to be huge amounts of vast data. We can do this just on all stream data. You can get massive improvements in the volumes of scams that you are first of all identifying and then being able to block and stop. I was talking to an analyst the other day who was on a panel with um, a group of American bankers. And the question there is, if it's so efficient, why doesn't everybody do it? <laughs> why isn't everybody using this technology to be able to protect their payments? And the answer to that is that historically, when banks have already got lots and lots of layers of systems, do they have to rip out and replace their existing systems? Do they have to put it on prem? How do they get through all of their security? So there have been a whole host of reasons why. And also, it's been seen to be complex. So if I haven't got a an army of scientists on my own side, how can I make sure that this system is going to work? So there have been a number of matters that have kind of caused industry to not do mass adoption. But the evidence is there now. And the other side of this is it's been beholden on us to try and make sure that the, the systems are as straightforward and as easy for our customers to adopt. So we've put a huge amount of effort into effectively encoding and simplifying data science in such a way that any bank can have it. And historically, with these systems, you would have to have been a large bank to be able to afford them because they have been expensive. But again, with modern technology and cloud technique and so on, we've been able to make sure that it's low entry point. It doesn't matter the volume of transactions any longer, because we have been able to say, we know how to do this, we know how to protect society, and any size of institution can now get access to the technology to, to protect them. And can we just underline the fact, the speed at which this happens, because you're talking about monitoring transactions, you're effectively doing that in real time. Absolutely. I mean, a good example is the first use case that we had at Future Space was with the gaming or gambling industry, and it was Betfair. And they came to our Professor Bill Fitzgerald and Dave Excel, who's PhD student at Cambridge, and asked, was there a way for them to be able to take bets in real time? Because if you think about most merchant transactions, the payment might be being authorized in real time, but the shipping of the goods, you can have quite a long time before the goods are actually leaving in order to do some further background checks. If you're taking a bet online, you need to know in that moment whether this is a good or a bad transaction. 
And so if you then take that principle and apply it to financial services and real-time payments, which is what we were then encouraged to do, over 95% of our business is now financial services. And that's where it's that same principle of being able to take a real-time event and be able to classify whether it's a good or a bad one. So again, coming back to the data point, one of the blockers to being able to find these criminals and stop them is, which is quite right, us as individuals are right to our privacy. And across the world, the laws all exist to ensure that our data is held private. However, very often that means that banks in particular find it really difficult to be able to share information in order to be able to keep us safe. So if you can't hand over personally identifiable data, is there a technology solution to that? And this is being called privacy enhancing technologies. And the US government and the UK government put a prize fund together and they ran two streams, one which is about could you predict the next pandemic? And the other stream was could you predict financial crime? Can you identify financial crime? So there were three tests. The first test was without personally identifiable data, could you get the same score? Could you get the same level of protection of somebody who did have a system that did have personally identifiable data? And feature space came out in the top two globally for that result. Then the next challenge was, could you re-engineer this? So they had a whole host of hackers who went at this in order to see if it was possible to re-engineer to find out the personally identifiable data. And again, we came out uh, 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 from that test. And then the final thing is, can you build this into a technology for the world to use? And again, Feature Space was um, victorious in that as well. So we were one of the finalists, one of the final prize winners. And I think this is an incredibly exciting moment with a technology to solution to, to protect payments without having to share personally identifiable data. So we're just right at the very beginning of this journey. But I think this is a really important moment for us to be able to rely on technology, technology for good, to be able to share data in such a way that our We're all safe. None of our private information is being exposed, but yet we can encode the behaviours in such a way that we can then protect individuals from financial crime. Martina King, CEO of Feature Space, thank you very much.